Great to be here this morning and continuing in this uh, incredible passage of Acts. This is a series called Let's Do It Again. And part of that is really just referring to what is now our opportunity uh, in light of this incredible story and what God has commissioned us uh, to do. And so if you weren't here last Sunday or you need a little bit of a refresher, I just want to catch you up as to what is happening uh, in Acts 2. And so basically what happens is all of the followers of Jesus or a, a tight core of the followers of Jesus uh, had been instructed by him to wait for the Holy Spirit that would give them extraordinary power, the power that he operated in when he was here on earth. And so he was bringing people back from the dead. He was performing miracles. He would prophesy and know things about people that he couldn't possibly have known. And this is what he said they could expect to do and be if they just waited. And so 120 of them waited and this rushing wind came into this upper room where they were and they began to speak in tongues uh, that were actually other languages they didn't even understand, but they were foreign languages. There was fire, flames of fire upon their heads. So there was this extraordinary thing that happened. And it occurred to me as I was thinking about this is that, that actually that group of people would have been about, about this size. Like we'd, we'd been getting about 150 people here. So maybe just a few less than we have right here. Imagine if we were gathered into this room, like we are right now, we're not in a room, but we're gathered together and we're just waiting. And aren't we waiting anyway? I mean, we're waiting. I, I think all of us as believers are, are waiting, waiting for something to happen. I think actually, even if you're, you're not a believer, you're waiting. What else is gonna happen? Surely there's something more <laughs> that's gonna happen. So they're waiting, this happens, they, us, all of us, burst out into the streets. And what they tell us is that at this point, there are thousands of people roaming around the streets. This is a picture. So imagine if we then, after this happens, decide to, to, to go up there or walk down the road and we encounter thousands of people. I'm just thinking of this scene like, like it's in a movie. I'm a filmmaker, so this is just kind of the way that I, I think. And I'm thinking if I were directing this scene, number one, the people would be so excited and so enthusiastic, but then they would be so amazed that they're now out there like this, encountering all of these people, thousands of them. And then Peter, let's say PJ. PJ stands up among the 120 or so of us, and he begins to preach. Because the people around were like, what are they doing? What is going on? Are they drunk? This is crazy. This is silly. Now, all of these people had gathered for reasons I'll get into, but it's just that they have encountered thousands of people. And he begins to preach. Now, can you imagine if, if, if we did that, if we, we, went, we went down into... I don't know, over by the, the, the Lakeville Mall, and, and there were thousands of people sitting there. Is that what it's called, the Lakeville Mall? Lake I'm new here, Lake Forest. I've been here a year. I'm getting the lay of the land. We go to the Lake Forest Mall. There are thousands of people, and they're all wondering what we're up to, and they want to know. Isn't that an incredible idea? Wouldn't you love to be a part of that scene? PJ stands up, and he says, hey, listen, 
we're not drunk. <laughs> it's 9 a.m. What are you talking about? But there is something happening, and I want to explain it. This is what lands us into today because PJ covered part of that sermon, the first sermon after Jesus leaves the earth last week, and I want to cover the rest of it this week because what's, what happens is absolutely unbelievable. So I think one of the things that we need to look at in understanding the story is who did they encounter that day? When they left the upper room, all 120 of them, who did they run into? These thousands of people in the public square. Well, it was Jewish people. They had come because they were on a pilgrimage to celebrate what they called Shavuot or Pentecost. It's the seven weeks after Passover. Jesus had died on Passover and now everybody was coming as they did for actually hundreds of years they made this pilgrimage. Now the reason this is important because you're like, okay, well this feels like, I mean if it's if you get too deep into ancient history, for me, I start to kind of, you know, the eyelids are you know, drooping a little bit. But actually, the ancient history here is massive. I mean, it's important in general. But here it's so important because these people had a habit of celebrating this Jewish holiday seven weeks after Passover by making this pilgrimage. And they came, in the, in the story, it says they came from 16 different countries. Why? What, what happened? Well, what happened was the Jewish people were, were scattered. Many of you are aware of what they called the diaspora. It was just, they scattered, whether it was exile or bad things that happened or conquering or conquests. These Jewish people that were once one great nation that was powerful and feared was now scattered all over the place. And so they list the countries that they came from. And, and it says in Acts 2, it says, there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans. All these people had come from all over the place because they loved to be together to celebrate this holiday. Now it's so important because, you know, everybody you encounter has a story. Everybody you encounter has a story. And anything that's going to come out of your mouth, especially if you're going to share the most important thing to you, it's important to understand how it fits into their story. Otherwise, it's like, great, okay, you have a story, but, but I have a story. So Peter, knowing what he knew, being a Jew himself, knew their story incredibly well. And that is what is such an important lesson here in Acts 2. He knew their story intimately. He knew their story like it was his own because it, it was his own. And I know that so much a part of what they're doing here, which is witnessing to the power of Jesus, starts with understanding, hey, Peter, where are you at? Where have you come from? What's your deal? And listening and asking questions and gaining understanding so that we don't just rush in with our great idea, our good news, as it were, but we actually try to understand the story. And the beautiful thing about this is that knowing the story, they were on pilgrimage to Jerusalem from 16 countries. We don't know how many were listening, but we know it was at least 3,000 as we hear at the end of the chapter. And these Jews had been celebrating this for hundreds of years. And frankly, I think it might have been getting a little bit old. Day in and day out, year in and year out, they were doing this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
Now this was what they did. This was their story. This is how they celebrated their history. But you know, God had stopped speaking to the Jewish people as he did for a very long time, 400 years before this moment. I've got to imagine things got a little bit stale. And for many of the people that we encounter, <laughs> things are a little bit stale. And, and, and what Peter's offering and what we can offer in the person of Jesus is the most exciting and incredible and extraordinary news that can possibly exist. So things have gotten a little bit stale. 400 years they've been doing this pilgrimage. In 400 years it's been silence from Malachi who last spoke at the end of the Old Testament until John the Baptist who came and spoke on behalf of God. But it was 400 years of silence, just a bit of a grind. And I think the people we encounter <laughs> are often experiencing just a little bit of a grind. So to come close and listen and understand the nature of that situation is so important. And these people were faithful. They kept coming. They kept making this incredible pilgrimage. And a key part of this was that they did it with the expectation of the Messiah. That was just embedded in their community. They had a hope. They had a hope of a promised Messiah who had been promised over and over and over and over again in their entire history. That was part of their story. Peter knew that. So when he encountered this group of thousands of people, he knew that what he had to tell them just sat right in the center of their story. This is what happens when we gain understanding. We can understand why the good news we have sits right in the center, possibly, of somebody's story. So this is just evangelism 101 we're getting right here. I mean, this is the, the first great sermon to a, a group of people who don't believe. Man, we've got to just stop and go, what does he do? That helps us to understand the way to do it. Because knowing the story of our audience is key. PJ covered, as I said, the first half of this little sermon uh, that is accounted for up until we get to about verse 32. And that's where I want to dive into this story. I wanted to set us up a little bit, but now here we are in the middle of this chapter in Acts 2. And Peter, as he continues this address, which started with saying, hey, we're not drunk. And by the way, guys, remember that prophecy about the Spirit being poured out on everybody? That's what's happening and so they're intrigued. They're leaning forward. He's been connecting this event to their story. And in verse 32, he says this. God has raised this Jesus to life. I'm going to start back in 29 because he says this, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, a very important person in their story, died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, this Messiah, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. This connects to your story and to your ancestral figure, David. And he says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. 
He assumed that they were aware of what was in the ether because of who Jesus had been in these last few years. And then it says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then it says, for David did not ascend to heaven as and, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Okay, so what's going on here? He's referring to David, part of their story. He's referring to Psalm 110, when he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He's actually quoting a verse from Psalm 110. This is in their history. And this was the question they had for a thousand years. Psalm 110 was written a thousand years before this happened. And they had just been walking around carrying this question of what that meant for a thousand years. Who is this Lord? They knew that it was the Messiah. Was it David? Was he the one he was referring to? And Peter's saying, actually, he is referring to this Jesus who you crucified, connecting this to their understanding of what's going on. What's amazing to me about this is Charles Spurgeon says, says this. Only Charles Spurgeon, a great teacher and writer, can say this. There does not seem to be very much that is original or striking in that sermon. I love how he's criticizing Peter's first sermon. <laughs> Certainly, it, does not, it is not a very sensational one. There's no fine metaphor in it. No garnishing of poetry, but in plain, simple language, Peter proves that it is Jesus Christ of whom David spoke in the Psalms. This is exactly what the people wanted to have proved. Many of them were ready to receive such proof as that, and they did receive it. It then goes on, after having heard this, these thousands of people where he just hits the nail right on the head, a targeted word into their history with the person of David and this psalm that was so important to all of them, it just struck them. And in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the arrest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It just spurred them to act. They were so moved. Can you imagine that? You're talking to somebody, you know their story, and you're saying, oh, wait, I have some incredible news for you. That thing that happened to you or that question that you've had that you've had for your entire life, it is answered in this person. And the person says, oh, my gosh, I get it. What should I do? You're just like, yes, that's it. That's it. That's all I've been hoping and waiting for, just for somebody to say, what should I do? They arrive there that day with a thousand-year-old question in their hearts. Who is going to help in the midst of all of this? Surely there's more to life than this. Year in and year out, we do this pilgrimage, fine, it's what we've always done. But man, there's got to be more. And then they realize their eyes open, the scales fall, and they, they get it. And I think part of what it means to share this message of Jesus is actually having the confidence that it can answer any question, fill any hole, meet any need in anyone you encounter anywhere ever.
That's the way Peter preached. He didn't preach going, I don't know if they're going to be interested in this. I don't know if they're care. I mean, look, I'm running out of time. I, I'm a little afraid of how they're going to react or respond. Yeah. No, no, he just went going, this Jesus, this answer is far beyond anything that anybody could ever conceive of. This is the thing that they've been waiting for literally thousands of years for. And, and I think that sometimes we struggle when we encounter people to go with the confidence that whatever it is that ails you, whatever gap you feel and void you experience and hurt you have and pain you've suffered, this is the answer. Yeah. We forget or we get distracted. And right now people are, are suffering. I mean, people are suffering. People are embroiled in so much of terrible cycles and patterns in their lives. I mean, don't we just know that's true? We know that's true. The statistics say that's true. You know, since the coronavirus pandemic, drinking has gone up 19%. I mean, it connects to what Celeste was saying earlier. Actually, heavy drinking among women has gone up 41%. I mean, it's a shocking, shocking statistic. We have to just hit the brakes in that moment. Why not as a means to criticize it? It's an incredible point of sympathy and empathy. Man, what, what are you experiencing that is causing you to turn to this solution? Well, we all know it's a difficult time. Illicit websites have gone off the charts in the midst of the pandemic. Part of that reason is because at the end of March, some of the biggest ones started offering free premium memberships to keep people at home. Thank you for that public service. But people are caught in patterns and stuck in, in, in just cycles of guilt and shame. And actually, it's Jesus who can come and completely destroy these things, can completely wipe these things out, can fill them with the Spirit, and they can go and turn around and live life as He intended and go and do likewise. Like, that's what we, that's what we have in this incredible, glorious person of Jesus Christ. But sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. It's like, oh, no, no, I know that message. No, 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 don't, don't assume anybody knows the message. 87% of Americans believe in God. 50% go to church. That's down from 70% 20 years ago. And it's partially because it's like, well, I don't, I don't think that's the answer. Like, I believe in God, but it's not church. But actually, it's connecting to the community of believers that does bring life and vitality. And people just need to be re-persuaded or reconvinced or just really rediscover the beauty of this person of Jesus that exists right here in our gathering. And so it's like, I believe, but, but actually we need to be asking this question, what should we do? What should we do? I mean, I believe, but what is it that I should actually do because it's one thing to hold these things philosophically but it's another thing to act what does peter say oh, it's a very famous line what does he say it's simple this is the purge spurgeon's point he doesn't give a flowery metaphor he just says repent and be baptized it's just that simple isn't that wonderful he says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Because not everybody had come on this pilgrimage. There were still people scattered everywhere. And he said, no, no, it's for everybody. For all whom the Lord, who, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Another translation says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it's not enough to believe, honestly. He says, actually, what you must do is not just sit and nod your head at the message. You must repent, turn away from the sin that so easily entangles you because it's, it's making you crazy anyway. Uh, people living in just cycles of guilt and shame because of the way that we're trying to cope with all of the difficult things that we're encountering. He just says, just turn away from that. Just turn away. It's that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. Turn away from that and be baptized. I love this passage in Ephesians. Paul prays this for Christians, actually, but it's actually the, the prayer for everyone who might believe. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And keep you strong in a time when we feel so weak. What else could we possibly want to turn to but this? And it's as simple as repent and be baptized. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and, and so many of you, I love, are, you, you're, you're nodding your heads because you can use this. You can use this Peter approach. You can, you can engage with this. You can take and understand somebody's story and see how the gospel message and the person of Jesus lays right conveniently into the midst of it. It is such a fun exercise, an opportunity in practice. Where is the opportunity to let them know how Jesus has answered this question, has satisfied this longing? It is so fun. It is part of the adventure. This is what Acts 2 just explodes into giving us a picture of. Guys, this is for all of you. It's for all of you. All of you who may not be preachers on a Sunday, but who are influencers of every single person you encounter for the sake of Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and, and you have said, you know, I actually believe too. And I'm an occasional church attender, but I'm not really sure what I do with this. What do I do? I have been cut to the heart, maybe even this morning. You know what you do is you repent and be baptized. If you're sitting here this morning, I, I just wanna say don't delay but repent and be baptized. It's as simple as that. Because that prayer that Paul pay, prays is what is actually guaranteed for the life of the believer is that the, the roots of God's love will go down deep in you and you will grow strong. Don't you need strength to face the day, to face these trying times? If God has, has been sort of unearthing that a little bit in you this morning, can, can I actually just offer the opportunity to repent and be baptized? I mean, what else would we be talking about right now but just repenting and, be, and, ba and being baptized? Turning away from whatever sin, maybe it's the way you treat your spouse, maybe it's depression that has it just clouded in around you, and there may be other things going on there, but part of it is actually just to turn and be strengthened by the Spirit of God who wants to dwell on the inside of you.